If you turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter, we're looking at chapter 1, and the passage I was given was roughly verses 13 to 19. I'm sorry for not putting it on the screen because I'm um, lazy, yeah. Uh, last time I tried it and it sort of messed my whole sermon up, really. Um, okay, so starting at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that has been brought to you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, now, I think you might notice a um, slight problem here. Um, the first word was therefore, which means um, this passage is connected to what comes before. So I thought, okay, we'll go three verses back. Three verses back, verse 10 starts, concerning this salvation. I thought, okay, uh, where did Nigel leave off last week? Uh, he left off at verse 5, we got to. So verse 6, in this you rejoice. So, right, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to foreknowledge of God the Father, um, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to do Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not yet seen him, you love him, Though you do not yet now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that are now being announced to you through those who have preached good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you also are to be holy, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile inheritance of your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, who is like a lamb without blemish or spot. He, is f he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times 
for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now I've realised what I'm going to do is um, mostly steal Nigel's sermon from last week, then add a bit more, then add a bit more, and then hopefully end. Um, So Peter starts his letter in verse 3 by blessing God. He says, because he has caused us to be born again into a living hope that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept for us in heaven. He says we've been born into a living hope. That means that our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Our hope's alive and living because he's living. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 12. And this is quite complex, so I might mess it up. Uh, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And the faith that you have is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're above all people to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For as by one man death came, uh, so through one man resurrection for all has come. So what Paul's saying basically is our hope is in the fact that Christ has been raised, and that's because our hope is not an earthly hope. It's a heavenly hope. And the only way we're going to get a heavenly hope to us is if we're raised and if it's not all about this life now. Paul's saying actually if we're Christians just for now we've believed a lie and we're to be pitied we might as well just give it up. If you think actually the gift of God is all for now then you've missed out and that's a false gospel. There's this inheritance that's coming and has not yet come that is for hope that we're going to live for. And this is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I found it funny last week, because Nigel was talking about Callie spending her inheritance. And the week before, I'd just spent uh, an inheritance that I'd received when I was five. Um, I'd broken my bike, so I needed a new bike, because it's how I get around. Um, The thing about a bike is it's it's a perishable thing. So my new bike is a perishable inheritance. First thing I did before I rode it was insured it because if I crash it well enough, it won't be a bike any longer. Um, The other thing is it's a defilable inheritance. I've noticed that before I was riding my bike, my old bike, quite fast round corners and fell off a few times. And that's because if you scratch it, it doesn't matter. It's an old bike. But this new bike, I want to keep it clean but I'm afraid I'm going to defile it and then I won't be so pleased because it'll be a scratched bike. But it's also a fading inheritance because I really quite hope I'll outlive my bike. Um, It's brand new at the moment, but I expect it will last 10 or 20 years and 
I kind of hope I'll last longer than that. Um, Jesus says uh, about this, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth uh, that fades. Uh, Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. And this is true of the inheritance we will receive. Think about this inheritance. It's an inheritance. It's not something we earn. It's something that's given to us. Um, Think about an inheritance. If you can't earn an inheritance, you're given an inheritance. Um, So when we get to heaven, it's not that some people will receive an inheritance. It's that everyone will receive an inheritance. It's like when you go to a really good conference. Um, when you go to a really good conference, like Front Edge, you get the Front Edge folder as you enter. And it's not that some people get it. Everyone gets this. As, as you enter Front Edge, it's like entering heaven. You're given your inheritance. I've got loads of these. Uh, this one's even better. Look, it's plastic. That's great. I've got more. My favourite, this one. I went to a conference in Manchester for men. And see this. It says, liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. That was us for an entire day. That was our inheritance. When we get to heaven, we will be greeted by our inheritance that is an unfading, imperishable, undefiled inheritance of glory uh, that will never fade. And it's for all Christians but that's not all. Uh, it's, it's great knowing that you got this inheritance. But the problem is, if then you think, what if I don't make it there? Um, well, Peter says to this, uh, verse 5, uh, You have been kept by God's power and been guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. I know for me, when I was young, I was saved about the age of seven. But I must have been 13 before I knew any sense of um, so sureness in my salvation. So I remember going to bed every night. I would pray something along the lines of, Lord, forgive me for my sins today. And if I'm not actually a Christian, please save me. And if I've done anything to stop me being a Christian, please forgive me for that. I want to be a Christian again. And that's, that's not how we live. Uh, we are kept. In fact, Jesus puts it like this. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. There's nothing you can do to make me drive you away, he says. Um, for I've come not from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And his will is this, that I shall lose none of those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So Jesus says, our sureness as Christians that we'll get to heaven is not dependent on us, it's dependent on him. We don't keep hold of Jesus by holding on to him. He keeps hold of us. And so I know I'll get to heaven, not because I'm going to hold on to Jesus, and not go and turn away from him, but because he has promised he won't let go of me. My inheritance is all based on Jesus, and my getting it is all based on Jesus, not on me. And so we move on uh, to verses 6 and 9, which is new stuff that Nigel hasn't preached. Um, And we find that um, 
we have reasons to rejoice, even though it's going to be hard. Um, in this, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever met someone like this, but you get, from some Christians, you get the impression that it's in our trials we rejoice. So they read this and say, um, it's in the trials we rejoice. It's not actually in the trial we rejoice. You don't get up out of bed one morning, fall out of bed, knock your head and think, oh, thank you, Jesus, I knocked my head, I got a headache. Oh, it's a glorious headache. (laughs) Walk downstairs, uh, spill the paracetamol over your Bible and think, oh, thank you, Jesus, I need to buy a new Bible. This is great. No, that's not what it's all about. Uh, if you look at it again, uh, you'll see that he says, in this you rejoice. It's not in the trial. It's in what comes before, verses 1 to 5. It's in that we have this inheritance. Though we have trial and pain and tribulation, we have an inheritance that is beyond that. We have something to look to, forward to beyond that. So then why is it good news? Um, or why does God let us suffer? Um, he says... Uh, it's testing you so that for tested genuineness, I better look it up really. Uh, in this you rejoice, though for a little while if necessary you now be in se- uh, Verse 7. So that for tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which per- perishes, although it's tested by fire, may be f- res- found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus thing about gold is uh, when you dig it out of the ground it's not pure so what you do is you uh, burn it and the word test is to do with this that um, to purify gold you put it in a fire and you burn off all the impurities and this is actually what uh, Peter's talking about here by testing that um, by these trials God is purifying our faith to make it a better faith more glorious so that when Jesus comes it will be a more glorious faith that we're shown uh, to have so suffering is is not an end in itself it's producing fruit and then Peter goes on um, faith not yet seen him you love him and though you do not yet see him you believe in him obtain and uh, and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think the amazing thing about Jesus is uh, just how much I love him because of what he's done. Uh, I think, considering he's someone I've not met, I've read about him in a book, and... uh, but you read about this man, and he's just amazing. If you read Mark's gospel, all the things that Jesus does are just amazing. He comes, he teaches like no one else has taught. Uh, he does amazing, miraculous signs and wonders to show that he's God. He forgives people's sins. Um, he then goes to a cross and dies and explains that he's done this, not by some chance or accident, but he's done it to save sinners 
but it doesn't end there. He's raised from the dead. And if you look at a passage like Revelation 1 and 2, I think it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible because that picture of Jesus, risen and powerful, is just the most amazing, stunning thing you can ever imagine. That uh, he is the one that my whole hope of life is fixed upon. Um, and it gets better because I pray to him and he's a God who listens to me. He's the God who Colossians 1 and 15 and 16 say holds all things together. Why is he interested in me when he holds the sun in place? Um, but he is. And he spent, sent his spirit to dwell in me. And it's amazing because I feel the presence of God in my life and I know that he's always with me. But there's this frustration because I've not yet seen him. And I want to see Jesus. I want to see him face to face. And the Bible writers talk about this hope of seeing Jesus face to face. That's Jesus here and you're here. You're thinking, wow. Um, But that's not yet. That's to come. Which is why Peter says it's this hope and inexpressible joy that we have that is going to come at the revelation of Jesus. That we, we know of him now, but we're going to know him a lot closer and a lot better. And so we move on, uh, and we're getting more reasons to be filled with joy, uh, which is verses 10 to 12. Uh, at first we see we have a privileged place in time. Um, Verse 10, concerning the salvation, for prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be given to you, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he said uh, and predicted the sufferings of Christ and for subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but were serving you in the things that have now been uh, announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter's saying the message brought by the Old Testament prophets is now being uh, fulfilled. And if we look back to Acts and Peter speaking again, he uh, quotes a prophet called Joel and says, in the last days it shall be that God declares... I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're in the last, last days, it says. Uh, we're in the days before Jesus comes, a great and magnificent day when Jesus is going to come in glory and set the world to right. And what this means is Jesus has come first time and he's paid the price for sin. Before that, how we came to God was through the temple system where you'd come with a sacrifice and the, uh, you'd bring a goat or boar or sheep or something and you'd have to kill that 
to take your place because you can't come to God directly. Um, and it worked out that only the priests could go into the temple and only one priest once a year could go into the centre of the temple where God's present was, presence was. But now, Joel says, God is pouring out his spirit who dwells in all his children. So in the way that um, God's presence was in the centre of the tab temple that presence is now in me it's now in you as God's children um, and it goes on anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved with the the days where Jesus says I'm sending out my gospel um, and anyone who calls on my name will be saved Um, these are days where we should be living in hope that there'll be salvation because Jesus promised it he says to his disciples um the harvest has come and it's plentiful. People worked hard for it and now it's come. And this is the time of harvest when we will see people saved and we will see people turning to Jesus because he's coming and he's going to come and it's going to be a great day. It's not going to be a bad day for us. It's the great day when Jesus comes and sets the world right. Um, but our privilege is greater. Um, look at the end of verse 12. It's this throwaway comment, things in which the angels long to look. We're the sons of God, uh, the Bible teaches, which is because uh, we were bought uh, by Jesus' blood. So we stand bought into God's presence by the blood of Jesus. The thing about the angels is they're holy because they've never sinned. And they're holy because they stand in the presence of God and reflect his glory. Uh, you notice this when in biblical accounts of angels coming, people often fall down and start worshipping them and have to be told off. Uh, but actually, uh, our position is greater than theirs because they're not bought by the blood of Jesus. They're not covered by his blood it's by his blood we stand and so our position is actually higher and more holy than theirs Uh, God loves us as he loves Jesus he doesn't love the angels in that way we're just it's amazing because we're the ones who rebelled they've never rebelled against God and yet he chose us to be loved as he loves his son Jesus it's more than that, because um, they long to look into these things, but they can't, because how does Peter say we understand? It's by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us that we understand, and that's a privilege we have as God's children that the angels don't share in. And so they look on and they're confused, because they don't have that um, God dwelling in them as we do. And so Peter's saying, look, you're more privileged than the angels, and they've never sinned. Okay, so there are some reasons to be joyful, that we have a great inheritance, and we've been kept for that inheritance. And more than that, our inheritance is not just stuff, it's Jesus. Our inheritance is to see Jesus, and to be with him forever. And we're in this privileged time and Jesus is coming soon. And so we move on to verse 13, which uh, for reasons 
I don't know why I did this. I decided to call for catch, or uh, but I think that's probably a rather appalling title for it. Um, let's read it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Um, It's my water somewhere. Aha. Sorry about this. I must admit, growing up, um, my view of verses such as this um, was rather odd. Um, I hated verses like this. Um, verses, it says, be holy as I am holy. Uh, that's something um, I saw as an unattainable task. How can I be holy as God is holy? That's just something to beat yourself over the head with. It's as if I'd read all this great stuff, um, verses 1 to 13, and then think, okay, that's grace. And we get to 13 and read on, and suddenly we switch to works. But um, for teaching, I, I don't know where this came from, whether it was for teaching or just me being silly. Uh, but it seems to me that um, we're saved by grace. Uh, so it's a gift from God that we get into heaven. And it's a gift of God that means that um, he will keep us to get to heaven. But our acceptance by God, um, that depends on how we live. So it's as if... Um, God would let me into heaven uh, because Jesus had died. But because I was a sinful Christian and everyone else was a holy Christian, um, if you imagine earlier we were all worshipping um, and um, this would be heaven and you're all sat here worshipping and I hope I don't get... Yeah, here we go. Um, and you can do that for a while. You'll notice down the back here there's a cupboard and I would sit somewhere down here and this is my place in heaven for all eternity um, enjoy, enjoy heaven people uh, but that view of heaven really isn't that heavenly it's like when you go to visit um, a friend when you're young and you really get the impression the parents aren't pleased to have you there so you skulk around the house and next time you say why don't you come to my house because my parents like me Uh, (laughs) um, because to be somewhere where you're not welcome is awful and this just 
made me uh, hate verses like this because I'd look at friends of mine and think, they're so good. I had one friend, he had a blog, and uh, he used to blog really holy stuff on it. Uh, I don't know if you understand a blog. It's like uh, where if you're a teenage lad and you think the world needs to know your wisdom, um, you can put that on the internet for everyone to read. Um, And I had one of these. Um, I must have had more followers than him because I just wrote silly stuff. Uh, Today was rubbish. Um, That's because of everyone else. Um, I'm brilliant. that sort of stuff, it was a good read. Um, but his was holy. He wrote about worship. He wrote about um, how God was affecting his life and stuff like that. And that used to make me really insecure. I'd look at him and think, he's a really great Christian. God must really love him. I'm not sure what God thinks about me. But his thing, when we come to a verse like this, we can't switch from grace gets us to heaven, God likes you because of how you are. No, uh, it's, it's not like that with a family. Um, I remember growing up, um, me and my brother used to fight a lot, and my older brother, um, we still fight a lot, Andrew and me. Um, but what would happen is um, we'd be sat down and um, you'd have your sentence read over you pretty much. Uh, It would be explained to you why you were going to get punished. And then it would be explained, this hurts us more than it hurts you. (laughs) And as a kid, you think, yeah, right. uh, But now I I understand that. Um, The thing about that is, um, on those bad days, our relationship with our parents was still the same. They still loved us, even though we'd done awful stuff. Um, and it wasn't, they didn't love us because we were obedient. Um, they loved us because we were children of theirs. We were part of a family. And that's how God loves us. God doesn't love me because I get up and read my Bible at 6 a.m. Uh, every morning. Uh, He doesn't love me because I don't lie in till two. Um, I don't know which is nearer the truth. Uh, um, He loves me because I'm Tim. He loves me because I'm his son. It's not conditional. It doesn't depend on how good I've been or how long it is since I last failed and sinned. He loves me because I'm his son. And that's how we come to God. We don't come to God through works. We come by grace. And so as we get to this passage where we're called to be holy, don't think you're going to be holy and so win God's approval. You're going to, you've, you have God's approval because of who you are. You're not going to earn it by being good and you're not going to unearn it by failing. So, um, why is it good news to be holy? Um, I don't know why I put this in, really, but um, two of you might get it. You drummed it into me. Um, In what condition (laughs) did God make Adam and Eve? Yeah, God made them holy and happy. Um, Did Adam and Eve stay holy and happy? 
That's not what I had to say. Uh, <laughs> no, they sinned against God, and instead of being holy and happy, yes. <laughs> uh, this, I don't know where it's got from. It's quite awful. Um, but it's true. Um, God made Adam and Eve in the garden. He made them holy, and they were happy. They sinned against God, and they became miserable. There's this connection with holiness, but we're made to be holy. We're not made to be sinful. We're not made to live in rebellion to God. And so it doesn't bring us joy. It brings us misery. Um, we're made to enjoy God's presence and be close to him. Um, I had a quite odd conversation the other night coming home from a badminton match with a guy who's not a Christian, but um, who clearly has lived his life in a way that you could call ho- uh, righteous. He's, uh, he was explaining to me how his brothers grew up and gambled and drank away most of their money, but how he had saved and worked hard. And he said, look at how my life is. Um, I have all this stuff. And it's clear that looking at him, they, he doesn't yet know God. He's been blessed by God because he's lived in a way that you would call biblical. Um, he's been prudent and st- with his uh, life. And he's been disciplined. So... Um, God blesses us for being holy. Uh, if you look at um, the Ten Commandments, for example, one of them is obey your parents. And the blessing for that is if you do this, it will go well for you and you will live long in the land. But if you obey God and do what he commands, I will bless you. Um, but it's more than that. And... Uh, So um, what does it actually mean to be holy, as in the words? Well, the words meaning has two sort of sides to it. And one, first, is is to be set apart. So um, this phrase, you are to be holy as I am holy, comes from passage Leviticus 19, um, in which God is telling his people how they're to live a holy life set apart uh, from the nations around them. And if at this point you're bored, um, Leviticus 17 to 22 um, will make interesting reading of all the laws that God then gives, which are actually a list pretty much of how to live opposite to the nations around them. Um, and they're told many times you're not to do things like the other people. You're to do things my way. So to be holy is to be set apart from the world's way of thinking and to be focused on God's way. And this is the same with the temple. Uh, We see that the temple and everything in the temple is set apart, um, is separate from everyday things, is separate from... uh, for worlds where doing things. Um, and it's also got to be undefiled. It's got to be undamaged. It's got to be uh, pure. Because God is pure. God is different. Um, so that is how we approach him. But um, also, being holy is defined by 
uh, God, who is the definition of holiness. Because uh, to be holy, um, another biblical, uh, another word that it's synonymous with is light. Uh, so John says, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. That's that God, there's nothing that God's ashamed of, because God only does what is right. God only does what's just. So holiness is to do what is right and what is good. Uh, if you see Isaiah 6, which is a famous passage about how we see God as holy, um, Isaiah falls down on his face saying, woe is me because I've fallen. And the thing is, God is so holy uh, and so pure that Isaiah can't stand before him. Uh, now, the problem here is, of course, we talked about holiness and you've instantly started thinking, okay, this is how I become holy and accepted before God. Actually, how we become holy and accepted before God is by grace. Um, our holiness is that of Christ, that he is holy. So remember that as we move on. This, um, so then, what, why are we being called to be holy if we're already holy? Um, well, I guess the problem is um, if you look at each other, look round at people, you might see people you don't particularly view as holy, and that's because our status is as holy, but we're in sinful bodies. We're we're still we're not fully sanctified. We've not attained the glory and the inheritance that's going to come when Jesus comes again. One day we'll be fully holy, but now it's a fight. And so actually, though our position is holy, where we're at is quite unholy. Um, And so Peter's saying, actually, you need to become what you are in Jesus. You need to show in life, you need to live the way that you are. It's not that you're unholy and you've got to become holy. It's that you're holy and you've got to show it so that the world can see that you've been set apart and made holy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So how do we do that? Um, well, it's verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, the literal phrase... I don't know if I should go here, is gird up the loins of your mind. Um, And what this is, is um, in the Middle East and culture of the time, men would wear these basically dresses. And so if you want to do anything um, vaguely, I guess manly, like running around and fighting people, uh, you can't do that with a foot-length dress. You can't move very quickly. So what you had to do is sort of hitch that up to your knees and tuck it in. Um, and so this phrase is saying, get your mind ready. It's sort of, if you want an English equivalent, it's roll your sleeves up. Um, it's what you do before you get ready to act. So how are we going to do this? Um, how are we going to ready our minds? Well, what are we readying them for first? If you turn uh, to verse 13. 
being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that has been brought to you for revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we set our hope on? We set our hope on everything that has come before, so verses 3 to 12, that we're coming into this great inheritance. We're to hope for that. We're to look towards what is to come. Um, that's to be our focus, that uh, we're God's children and there's great stuff in held for us in heaven. Um, and so how do we do that? Well, it should be at the forefront of our minds. We should be longing for this. It should be something we desire. We should be longing for the day when Jesus comes again. That's why it's so terrible that when I was younger, I was uh, not looking forward to going to heaven. I had this bad view of me sat at the back in the cupboard and hating it because I had no hope of what was to come because I had a hard view of God that he was the father who um, accepted me by works and not by grace. So we need to get our thinking about God right and our hope for the future right. And we need to pray into this. We need to um, enjoy uh, praying about the future and future glory and thanking God for it. Uh, If you're anything like me, most of your prayer is um, praying for, for stuff, and for people, and mostly for yourself. Um, We should be thanking God, enjoying time with him, just saying thank you for what's to come, and looking forward to that. Um, And we should be reading uh, his words, and his promises of what is to come. Um, I think we should be feeding this expectation, and stirring one another up to it, I think it's something we had to say, come on, if, if, you're not, if you're looking forward to treasure on earth, why? Why are you doing that? There's treasure in heaven that's not going to fade or spoil. It's not the last page. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, we've also ma- almost made it. Uh, but Peter goes on. Uh, and this is a bit I really struggled with. Uh, I've struggled how to bring, bring this. Uh, verse 17, And if you call him, call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of exile. How does that fit? How can we fear God, who is our loving Father? Uh, it's, it's almost it's, it's confusing because um, I used to get for fear perfectly, uh, and that was all I had. Um, but now, how do I keep fearing God? And what does Peter mean when he says fear God? Because um, in Christ, I have nothing to fear. There's no condemnation, Paul says. Uh, the price has been paid. It can't be paid again. We're never going to come under the wrath of God. But uh, Peter goes on. Uh, Knowing that you've been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. <laughs> Do you know what it costs for you to go to heaven? Do you know what it costs Jesus for you to go to heaven? He, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and then he died under the wrath of God. He was punished for sins he had not committed. His, the full wrath of God he had not earned, he suffered for us so that we could know God's peace. I deserve everything that Jesus had, and I won't face it ever, because he paid it. So how, how can I go sinning? when he's done this for me, when I'm sinning and I'm thinking, I can get away with this. What am I doing? I'm sinning against God who paid this great price for me. He paid for price that ca- <laughs> he paid for price on the cross for me so I would never have to pay it. And I'm sinning, I'm saying, I don't care what you did. I don't care that you died for me. <laughs> What's it matter that Jesus died? I can sin because... Because it doesn't matter, I can't be punished. I, I'm not going to get punished for this. I, I, can, I can do what I like. I'll come back to God in half an hour and I'll, I'll say, sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord, for what I've done. I've done it against you because you paid for price. I can get away with that. How can I do that to the one who paid for price for me? He paid for price I would not have to. That's not gratitude. That's what fear should do to us. We should be thankful that we've been saved, but we don't pay the price. Jesus paid it. We're not going to pay the price. How can we sin? How can we? How can we carry on in ways that caused Jesus to pay that price for me? So how do we do this? As obedient children and as people who call God Father, we're accepted because Jesus paid the price for us. And so we should be like children, eager to please, longing to do everything God's done for us, hoping for the day when he'll come and we'll be with him perfect. And we'll never sin again. And we'll be with Jesus forever.